I thought we might just start by contextualizing what the show is about. So the show is called Otherwise Image Worlds, and the phrase otherwise world is something that I derived from an African-American scholar called Ashanti Crawley. And it's this really nebulous kind of idea, but at the center of it, something very simple is to think otherwise, right? So think of what is at play at the moment in the world of politics and art and whatever else, gender, all kinds of categories. The question is how can we think otherwise? What allows us to push against the sort of current boundaries and what stops us, right? So that's kind of an interesting question we'll, we'll sort of come to. Those things are necessarily interlinked. So I wanted to bring together a few artists who in very different ways looked at this and I guess lurking underneath the whole premise is maybe some kind of identitarian logic that I didn't want to approach head on as well. Like it's like, how do we approach something but not touch it? Yeah, how close can we get to the idea without using the same same terminology maybe or the same forms? Play around with that. Push around with it and give like my collaborators and me a bit of freedom to maneuver and just sort of play there how they felt. But anyway, I think that's enough context. I think it's it's nice to actually dig into the work itself. So I wanted to start with both of you and the question is sort of a backdrop of being like, what's your relationship? to animation or what has it been since, say, your childhood. Like for mine in particular, it's it's very much, it's buried deep in, in the kind of the Disney complex and, you know, Disney Pixar and entertainment, popular entertainment, and only more recently has it become sort of oppositional through working with moving image. So I'm curious to hear, you know, sorry, we'll begin this time. Oh, Kira, um, thank you for coming. Nice to see everyone. What do I, what's my relationship to animation? Outside of art making. Outside of art making. I guess I used to think of it as being outside of art practice, or like I think of it in a separate way. Like, you know, you can think of cartoon series after the news, or even like when you're mom like reading you bedtime stories like i used to think of it as another aspect or another forms of entertainment forms of art but now more and more these days i kind of my relationship to it is very immediate by saying immediate i mean you know i think of animation even through like when i breathe or when I, I walk. <laughs> I mean, not consciously all the time, I think of how my, my, my bones or muscles move, but, but, but yeah, I guess that's my relationship or how I start thinking about the process of making now from my body, how my body functions and how that, you know, play into other mediums. That's really good. Just before I hand over to Ari, I wanted to connect that to what's central to Juliet's work. It's the same idea of being like at a very like at an embodied level, what does animation mean? Like what does it mean to be a sentient being? Um, or to be different from the so-called non-human world. And I thought when Mark extended the invitation, I thought maybe, oh, this is sort of an interesting route to take it. And I felt like it's something that I had wanted to look at 
for the show at Artspace that we did several years ago as well. And I never quite made it or never quite envisioned or realized the show as I wanted it to. And then this is sort of a loose way of carrying on this idea. I mean, central to the other show was this idea of potential. Like essentially what animates life, what differentiates us from supposedly dead matter, but I know your practice questions these divisions, of course, right, which we can come back to. But I just wanted to yeah, tie that in. And with Juliet's work, is, is this is sort of central to a very biopolitical question of what it means to be a feeling being. Central to the work is this, the empty maneuver, which is a way of moving or shifting a crystal that's inside your ear passage called the otolith. That's where the dot group gets the name from. And it helps you get a sense of balance or feel for the world around you. And with certain people, I think, with particular conditions, that's what falls out of whack. So the maneuver that you see the person performing is a way of resetting that. So it's kind of interesting to think how, like, you know, perceptually, what, what are the functions or the mechanisms that allow you to perceive motion and movement? Right, it's all, it all feels sort of total and complete a lot of the time when you're experiencing it. But when one of those little kind of cogs goes off and then you sort of sense, you can get a feel for what it takes to, to bring it together. But anyway, it's a bit of a, a tangent. But I'll hand over to Ari. What's your relation to animation been like um, to date? Kia ora. Um, yeah, thanks y'all for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my relationship to animation has been like since I was a real little kid, you know, watching like SpongeBob SquarePants and Yu-Gi-Oh and <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. But I think something that has always kind of captured me with animation is the potential to show really big stories in a really simple way and also the like painterly aspects of it like I'm thinking of like when I was a kid I watched like Spongebob Squarepants and Ren and Stimpy and like it'd be like basic kind of cartoon and then it would zoom into this like oil painting of like pimples or something and I think yeah just all the potentials in that like you can do anything you want with animation you can represent reality and not reality and you can merge the two together now I'm just talking about my art so yeah <laughs> and maybe that's a good a good place to sort of segue into the different forms that you use like I know sort of what you wanted to play with the point file system and you I guess you were learning you were teaching yourself how to use it how to manipulate it but you wanted to intermix that with other ways of making animation as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, so the work that I make for this show is called Nemesin, and it's as a name of a great goddess. Um, she represents memory. You might know the word mnemonic. And the way I approach the work, I guess at the beginning I wanted to trying to make work that I have relationship with, trying to make work that not a representation of an idea, but rather an attempt to build this direct connection to, to the material. Because 
for me, I've been working digitally, you know, with soft, different software computer screens for since 2012. And one of the biggest or like ongoing question is that how do I feel located or feel situated with this technology? And so this, the, the technology that I employ for this work is having to do with geographic information system, um, like GPS. The sequences that I made is based on a video footage that my mother took on her mobile phone. And I guess you're aware that mobile phone these days, when you take photos or videos, it kind of records your coordinates, like longitude and latitude. I mean, some phones do if you turn on the GPS location. So actually you can trace through images and footage, you can trace where you were or where you are in the world. And I kind of saw that as an important tool to help me map where my mother was and how far away she is from me. I mean, she filmed it in Thailand. She, she lives there. So I think the work, to me, I don't even feel like I see it as an artwork, but rather a process or a method of understanding the distance, like literal physical distance that I have with my, with my mother and also my country. So the point clouds, the, the little cubes that you see in the animation, those are polygons that I assign to point clouds. And point cloud is like a unit that represents the longitude, latitude of, I guess in the world, it's the surfaces of the objects that my mom was, was filming, which is this small lotus basin in her garden. And I use Blender to kind of navigate through those polygon units and treating them as a different kind of landscape. Not landscape, but like more like land. Did you use any other techniques besides point cloud? That was the kind of the main technology that I used, but I also experiment with Blender where you animate the camera. And I became quite curious about making moving image through a cameraless process and the way you can control this digital camera or invisible camera. And you will see in the work that there's these like different depth of fields that I play with. And I guess to me with the work, I approach animation through trying to understand the mechanism of it, the mechanism of the equipment, the camera, and also the mechanism of the software, for example, the controlling the depth of field, to me become the act of animating, if that makes sense, rather than trying to make a moving image. I, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does. It also kind of hints at how kind of complicated and convoluted the idea of animation gets, just some layers of it, which is something that came through in, in thinking about this project. I guess, yeah, similar question for you, Ari, is like, what kind of forms are you playing with? I know you, you're out and about with your camera, capturing things, including outside of the gallery, like you might spot it. So for those who aren't familiar, I should have introduced this earlier. Ari's work is the one directly opposite me, really. 
it alternates with Juliet Carpenter's. It usually has like, sound. The soundtrack is incredible. I will blast it really loud before everyone leaves. And then Sodowitz is the one you see as you walk in by the description you've probably picked up on it. And Sodowitz also has this other LED work that we can speak to in a moment. But yeah, back to you, Ari. What kind of forms were you playing with? Found animation through gaming, some of your own things, base capture, going around with the camera. And how did you want this to, how did you want these components to relate to each other? Yeah, so kind of what I've done is like the big old AV collage. So it has footage from video games of me playing, but also some of my friends have sent me footage of games that they play and kind of collage that with real I hate I hate the word real because I don't know about that. But um uh like GoPro footage of me kinda driving and walking around Auckland as well as I recorded conversations with my friends, like two separate groups of friends. And I didn't have to guide those conversations very much, but um, the starting point was I made them all watch the latest Matrix movie. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to talk about the Matrix in my work, but I want you to think about the themes and then we'll go from there. And I think the way I see those all connecting together, I think increasingly as our world becomes more digital, we're not experiencing it in a linear or single channel way anymore we're experiencing it through so many channels i think it's even like changing it's definitely changing the way my brain works i always kind of describe my brain as having like 30 tabs open at once flicking between each one frantically and i think that is more becoming the way we experience the world we'll walk in and look stuff up on our phone we're in 12 worlds at once I also just wanted to make my process something I enjoyed doing because I knew I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. So playing video games and talking to friends and walking around are things that I enjoy doing. Just thinking about the use of sound in both your work. Yours is very subtle, sort of worth. I'm curious about the decision to punctuate it with that kind of soft, twinkling sound. Yeah, so the video has the audio component. I I purchased this sound effects of water drippings, uh, different collections of water drops. And part of my practice, I also make sculpture, and I've been working with limestone um, through the process of carving limestone in the past two years now. So to me, in a way, the work speaks to the physicality of stone, the material, the weight of stone that I have ongoing in my studio as well. It might not make sense to you because there's no sculptures in this show, but the sound came in as a way to kind of... Um, well, first of all, I, I, I thought of the actual subject that my mom was filming, which is the, the Lotus Basin. And it rains a lot um, in Thailand, most tropical countries. But yeah, I guess the sound of water. I try. I did try to look up what's the atua for memory um, in Fear Maori. I couldn't find exact atua, but if anyone is knowledgeable and allowed to share with me, I'll be keen to learn. But I did read something that talks about water, which has memory. 
from the context of the Amnari. So yes, the water sound speaks to that sense of you know water representing memories, and actually the limestone itself is kind of a record of time and the materiality of it. Is, you know, like it's most of it made from like tiny marine skeletal fragments. Uh, that's what form limestone, and it was all once underneath on the ocean floor and it got raised up. Maybe I'll, I'll keep thinking about that and we come back to it. Yeah. I guess this idea of substance as materials having a memory is interesting. Maybe we use that kind of as a brood summation of the idea that they have a history. I guess it feels maybe more sort of poetic to say that memory it seems to capture much more than just a history. And I, I, I'm trying to think of the work as having this kind of concrete capacity in, in a similar way that stones are concrete. And I think of water as being this kind of measurement unit of time, of you know how like tiny drops of water can actually carve stones. Yeah, your soundtrack <laughs> um, is like the basis of your work, wasn't it? That was the first part you made. And then you build the images off of that. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship to music, first of all, as a musician, and your relationship to this particular soundtrack you made and then the images? I make music. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've been playing music for a long time and I enjoy it. And for this work, so I started with the soundtrack, made the video, edited the soundtrack to kind of match the video and kept kind of swapping between the two, but I did really want to kind of form the baseline narrative of my work based on the conversations that I've been having with my friends, but um, mixing the conversations quite low as well as padding them quite hard left and right. So I wanted to almost create the feeling of like when you're running through a video game and you hear like an NPC kind of yelling at you from the left side or the right side and you keep going and it's just like a fleeting moment but then during the parts of the conversations out that I found were really like rich in meaning and having those little moments kind of shouted out from the left or the right and yeah I made the whole soundtrack in Ableton um, which is like a beats making thing and utilize a lot of sampling so a lot of the, the visuals are sampled as well as a lot of the audio I downloaded like this huge pack of mp3s from the sound effects of every Grand Theft Auto game and kind of manipulated some of those sounds so there's like a chanting kind of sound that comes up at some point that is from the first Grand Theft Auto game, as well as like making percussion out of video game sound effects, like crunching on gravel or a bottle smashing, keys typing. Yeah, I think I think my whole kind of intention around both the soundtrack and the visual is to really kind of merge so many times and places and realities together, so that it was understood Englishable, like you can't tell what's from what, 
and you can't tell what's real and what's not. I just really like the Matrix. I'll open it up for questions shortly, but before we do, while you're thinking of some contributions, I wanted to ask about the LED, the LED work software, and how it relates to that other work, the projection work. So if you haven't seen the entire video, there's uh, two sequences that I include. It's like a wall of falling kind of digital blobs, um, and the image on those blobs uh, from this trip that I took with my mom to um, one of the ancient cities in the northeastern region. So yeah, as I mentioned before, I want to I want to experiment, you know, with digital medium that can contain a sense of place, a sense of locality. So yeah, I, I visit those sites and. I mean, it's just like when you go to any ancient ruins or archaeological sites, you, you can't help but thinking of time and the past and history. And I think the context of those sites for me and how it sits in the work talks through a lot of things that I've been thinking about in terms of belonging or not just my position here in Aotearoa, but also even when I go back to Thailand, it's new every time. Like you go back to your old country, it's like new every time. And when you're at those ancient sites, you feel like, oh, you should know something, but actually you don't know anything of who built them. I mean, you can speculate through you know, deep archaeological studies or research or whatever. But in terms of movement um, of people um, in those regions, yeah, so it's something I think about and I guess I thought of how, and as I said before, I work with limestone and at the moment I'm developing a, a, a sculptural body that kind of replicate some basic forms of structure, architectural structure. So I've been thinking about building, and this work is called Building Block, and it's kind of like a play on that term, that word, building blocks of life or building blocks of memory. It speaks to the work, um, but the, the main video of moving image well, but I guess in a more kind of uh, playful, I guess something that I sense that's central to your practice, before, just before I hand it over, is that there is this moving through different orders of magnitude or different scales, or at least that's kind of an important way that I see your work, is that it sort of alerts us to the arbitrariness of how we distinguish, like, you know, if you're thinking about history, the sort of scale at which you're going to tell history, if you go to Chiang Rai and you, you talk about, like, a civilization, it doesn't alert us to kind of the sort of micro communities that existed or that allowed that particular space to exist across time. Like I think there's a sense of kind of cutting across these very definite taxonomies of how we talk about things or even a life that like life is contained within. Like there's the edge of a body and then there's like a community and somehow those things are like distinct categories. I mean 
there's a usefulness in thinking about them as distinct and being like, okay, this is what this person's labor is worth, for example. But then there's also just always wanting to flip between these different scales, always keeping in mind that there's constant motion, there's a shifting, and I, I feel like there's almost like, without hopefully not sounding too corny, it almost like the work illustrates that, like there is a kind of emotion in that, right? Like it's a fugitiveness, it doesn't allow, doesn't allow for things to just ossify and stay static. Forms are always made and remade, renewed in motion, cycling through different like, you know, they come together and they, and you zoom in and out. And I feel like that's such like, as a model, an example of how to think about the world. It keeps us nimble, like, yeah, this is what I've always enjoyed about your work. And same with what you were doing with the work coming in and out of focus. The sound, the dialogue is sort of, I think it's playing with the tension. I guess you did say there is this the contemporary image landscape and how we deal with the world, how we consume it, always coming in and out of focus. And it's almost like we're struggling to let, we're trying to discern what the conversation is. We're kind of being let in. Maybe not in and out. There's a little a bit of withholding. Things are not made easy, and I think that's a great way to start to complicate forms that are often used to make things really smooth and seamless and easy and legible. You know, like infographics and all that kind of thing. Things that are just like made to make things efficient. Well, if I may add, yeah, I guess yeah, when you're talking about with motions and things having motions. I feel like that's the visual key elements of animations, right? But I guess we don't often talk about how memories or how history actually shift and change. And I guess one of the ideas also behind the work that I make is to kind of approach how ideas and memories move. Does anyone have any questions? Apologies if I can't turn it into much of a question yet, but what was interesting to me hearing you speak is that maybe upon the first view of both works, I wouldn't have seen this, but both kind of have a bit of a basis and a connection to people. Like, neither work kind of features those people directly, whether it's the conversation with your friends or like, the connection with your mother, but I think it's an interesting way to even explored kind of both how animation or perhaps these intermediate worlds are a way of like connecting us to people and I guess yeah how you guys have found it as a tool maybe for connecting. It's really good, thank you. Do other of you want to respond to that that observation? Because I'm I mean I'm curious about the presence slash absence of people. Like we do get the hand handling the camera in your work which you've seen before, but we don't get the figure anymore, that full figure. And then you're kind of there in the rearview mirror of the car with the face mask on, so maybe we can touch on those things. Yeah, connection with people. So one of the se- in one of the sequences, you will actually see the footage that my mom took, and it's on like this kind of uh, character holding a mobile phone. But also, what is really apparent for me in the work is that I see my mother. <laughs> like the technology, the, the main function of this geospatial records is that it's very useful in archaeology. 
I read something recently that people that works in cultural heritage in Ukraine just before the war took off, they rushed into you know mapping using lighter laser mapping all the heritage site that will be destroyed. So that that's how it functions uh, in the world, not in the art context. And I guess that sense of trying to keep something is is in the work. And to me personally, that my mother, <laughs> you know, I would look at this work, but she's not around anymore, and I would still know, like at at some point in time, she was she stood there, that far away from the Lotus Basin. <laughs> I think. In a lot of video games, you you play a character who's almost like a, a blank slate. You get a bit of character backstory, but then you really take on that role of the character and kind of run through this world, forming your identity in relation to your experiences and relationships with other people in the game. But that, to me, is is what you know, reality is as well. And I really like that narrative style when it's done in movies. Um, the the director's name, I can't remember, but a French director who um, made the movie Tomboy and Girlhood. Um, and those main characters really, yeah, you really see the world through their eyes and, and they develop their sense of self through their narrative that happens around them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm also a youth worker, so I've talked to a lot of young people about their identities, and I get a lot of young people being like, I just want to know who I am, I don't know who I am. And I'm like, who, who knows who they are? <laughs> um, I really do think that we exist in, in terms of our relationships with other people, and it's the people around us who make up us who we are. So, though you can't see my friends in my video, you hear their words and feel their emotions as they're talking. And those relationships and conversations are something that I, I really, really value. And it's almost like my own, my own form of research. I don't read a lot, but I have a lot of conversations. Yeah, and I guess I hope that with my video, you can kind of see it as taking that point of view as as being that character running through this world, having these experiences and hearing these thoughts and dreams. Yeah. Well, maybe actually before we finish, one last question is your relationship to place and location, because you, your work is going through Tamaki, most of it, isn't it? Yeah. Right, so interspersed are like these virtual worlds, wherever's, whenever's, and then there's Tamaki Makoto, and I'm curious about what it means for us. It's, Totally need to be making work or thinking about being here. And then you, you've already talked about location, but I suppose with relation to your mum, but um, didn't even figures into the story of, of the work. Maybe I'll start with you out. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, as like Pakiha, like, just relationships and connections to space. I've lived in Tamaki Makoto my whole life. I was born here in one year overseas, but that's it. So it's it's really, really home to me and all those places are so familiar. I've I've been in them at five years old and fifteen years old and twenty-five years old and 
you know, I'll probably be there at 35 and 45 too. But at the same time, like, this is, this is not my, my home, um, my ancestral home. I feel like that's just like, that's like answering a question with another question. I think, I think Pākehā and Tōi are constantly kind of renegotiating their relationship to a land that doesn't belong to us, that does on paper. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, th- I, think, I think my work has, has a lot of questions like that in it as well, <laughs> not answers or questions, and I'm comfortable in sitting in that question space. I feel like we need a full day conference for that topic. I'm um, just curious about um, equality and how you uh, want to bring it into the equation of the work. I mean, I can, yeah, so there's scenes that I film in Otipoti Dunedin where I currently base as well, and I can only make work from where I stand, from my position, and I think the idea around place is getting more and more complicated each day. And I, I think through the technology, like it, uh, this kind of mapping uh, 3D space and like reconstructing a, a new space is in itself really speaks to the distant or a really approach distance as a subject, which is something that I constantly negotiating with in terms of you know this my distance from this country, from my home country, from friends, from Manafenua, my relationship to Dunedin, where I am now. You know, it's like everywhere I go, it's about I am so aware of the position now and how I navigate around it and you know I would never understand the same relationship that Emily has like her work you know that that kind of direct relationship with the Fenua which is I said earlier that what I reconstruct through these polygons is an, an, an attempt to built land for myself, a sense of place for myself. So yeah, I mainly make work for myself. <laughs> um, no, but, but as I said before, I don't see it as an artwork at all. I see it as, it as a process of actually understand where I am, where I stand and how I stand and who I stand next to. Thank you both. Please join me in thanking Ari and Sorowin, and thank you for coming. <laughs>